0: I've not heard that song before, and, uh, but, boy, I really like it. Um, I, Robert, I wonder if you could bring up for me the first slide of that. So as I was thinking about this, the sun comes up. It's a new day dawning, like for all of us. It's new, we don't know what's going to happen today. It's time to sing your song again. Then whatever may pass, whatever lies before me, Let me be singing when the evening comes. Boy, I love that thought. But, you know, that second line there, whatever lies before me is a big unknown for everyone. I mean, nobody knows what's going to happen at 3 o'clock this afternoon or or 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I mean, if you know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow at 10 o'clock, could we get together after the service? I want to know which stocks to invest in at 930 when the market opens. We don't know. And I think that life, when you think about it, and, and you look at media, whatever media, ever, how you get your news, whether it's TV, newspaper, uh, internet, whatever that may be. It's just full of, of that, whatever lies ahead. There's this sense of tension that is created in our culture that it seems like there's always some major court case that the media has selected. There's many going on, obviously, around this country, but usually there's one. There's been a couple of well-known ones here in Florida this year and there's this it seems as if the the whole country is just glued in and and then of course there's talk shows and and spins and all all that happens with this but it's it's the unknown of what lies ahead in this case whether what whatever side of the case you fall on. And then there seems to be always a, a fugitive on the loose, as there has been in the last few days. And that came to a, a close this this morning or last night in, a, in an unfortunate way. Someone lost their life. But there seems to be something like that always going around in the news. And then, you know, the, the, the futures may tell us that the market is going to open lower or higher. And then the media uses words like plummet or uh, lowest in two years and, it draws us in and, and there's something about that, that, uh, about these stories that, that attracts us, that magnetizes us. And and we understand that the media knows that. I haven't really seen any like major headlines, you know, because the more major, the bigger the font and the bolder the font. And I, I've never seen like a major headline recently that said um, "kitten lost in tree," you know, because that wouldn't draw us in. And of course, these stories they draw us in because of course the the sponsors of the media uh, they they make money when people are drawn in. It's just like this cycle that goes on. And they understand that we uh, we as human beings are drawn to the unknown factors of life of not knowing whatever lies ahead. I think it's true for our personal lives. This is uh, for those of you that have kids going into school. Uh, we, you know, uh, uh, gearing up for that. There is a lot of unknowns. What teacher you'll get? Uh, how things are going to play out? How the adjustments will be made? School supplies. I mean, if, if you are a parent, you know, in the last uh, the coming weeks, there is just like this white water sense of like uh, get, get everything ready and change your schedules and you start driving and putting your kids on buses and all those things. And will they miss the buses at the right bus? I mean, it's uh there is so much like ah, uh, and there's, you feel the tension. But for some reason with these things, whether it's our finances or court cases or fugitives or the stock market or school schedules or whatnot, there's part of us that we can say, gosh, if we could just not have any of that, life would be better. So for that reason, we do everything possible to try to lower the risk and the unknowns in life. We do that through a measure of ways. We get overinsured and for, for a million different things just so, you know, we make sure that our 401Ks are okay. And, and we, we don't like risk. In fact, in our our at group yesterday, you know, I'm in a men's group on Saturday. And we're, again, reading through John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. And John puts it this way very appropriately. He says, most of us do everything we can to reduce the element of risk in our lives. I would propose to you, though, there's something about us that the media knows. They understand that even though we like to lower that risk, there's something in our design that's magnetized toward not knowing what's going to happen. Let's say, for example, you've got a favorite football team and they're playing in the Super Bowl. Well nobody likes a uh, even if your team wins. Nobody likes a Super Bowl where it's completely lopsided. Where one team wins by 45 points. And we're you know the next day we're like, "Ah, that wasn't really all that great of a game." There's something in us that likes the nail-biting game, especially if our team wins at the end, but we like the sense of you know we get bored at halftime if the one team's ahead by 30 points. And I'm sure like me, you've you've stayed up late. You've been watching a baseball game and it's like, man, I'm, I'm kind of invested now. And now it's ninth inning and they're tied. So they're going to go a 10th inning and 11th inning and a 12th, sometimes 13, 14 innings until the thing is resolved. And then the next day you kick yourself like, what was? It? why did I do that? I think there's a reason. I believe that God has designed us has made us, has wired us, has created us, pick a word, he's designed, he's engineered us to be attracted to the unknown, although there are parts of us that say, I don't want that, we've been designed that way, because God, when we put ourselves in that position, God has wired us to lean on him more, to have more faith. In fact, Eldridge continues like this. He says, we take, you know, we want to reduce the element of risk, yet, this is the world God has made, a world that requires us to live with risk because God wants us to live by faith. Think about it. When David faced off with Goliath, he was, the Goliath was much taller than David, but not taller than God. I mean, God, you've you got to imagine, like an ant looks like to us, you know Goliath is about that, that same ratio to God. And he could have easily just say, David, step back. You you, you might get hurt on this one. I'll take it from here. Let's lower the risk. Let me take it for you. And then just, you know, come up to Goliath and go, bink, just like that. Just flick him right off the planet. That's Hebrew, by the way. Bink. It's it's the Hebrew word for annihilate. Just bink, just like God, God could have done it. You see, God could have taken Uh, Gideon and said, look, you got 32,000 men and with those 32,000 men you're still outnumbered by your enemy but I'm going to reduce it to 300. But he could have said, let me just take care of it. No, I'm going to put you in a position of risk so that you will understand that in this life you are umbilically dependent on me. Because when you are, life gets exciting and God did not Create us for boredom. He created us for adventure. So we find ourselves today at the very end of the 23rd Psalm. We've taken a number of weeks to go line by line in this Psalm. Now, I know some of you like to follow along in your Bibles, and it hit me today, uh, one thing that might help you is that at the, at the, on the back side of your info sheet that you received coming in the door, at the, at the bottom of that page, I list all the scriptures that I'm gonna use. And uh, so you, if you want to stay ahead of it, you could actually follow along and turn to that one. I'll try to give you a little time. Sometimes I get rolling and it's hard to stop. Uh, but if you want to try to keep ahead of the curve, I, I love when people open their Bibles. Um, I write in my Bible, I underline and highlight, write notes. That way when you come back, it's there. And so if that's helpful, um, then there it is. We're going to park in the 23rd Psalm here as we begin. And then the very last verse. Now, David reminds us of something as he closes this classic vintage psalm that we all know. He reminds us that we as sheep were created for danger and we live supposedly in an adventure or we should live an adventure. He reminds us that the life of a sheep is dangerous, that there are ravines, there are cliffs. We've seen that there are valleys. There are shadowiest of shadows, there are dark places, there are rushing rivers. That's why God has to lead us to more still waters or we'll drown in, in, the, in the rush of, of life and the, the rush of our reasoning. There are wild animals, there are wolves, and we're told spiritually there are those that that we can't even see that are like uh, lions and and wolves that want to attack us. And therefore, God says, I need you to hold up here and I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures because I can see around the corner and you cannot. In other words, life as we know it is designed to be dangerous for that reason. David begins this final uh, uh, lap around uh, this this psalm with this amazing word, and he begins this last verse of Psalm 23 with this word: "Surely, not hopefully." Not maybe, but a word of confidence. With everything that we know now, with the environment in which you find yourself living as a sheep in a dangerous world and an uncertain word, a world, let me begin with this word, surely. And then he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as that verse is before you, I want you to look at the, the words of sureness in this verse. First of all, he begins with the word surely. But then he says, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me. Not hopefully, not prayerfully, not maybe, not perhaps, but surely, goodness and mercy will follow. He, You can feel the confidence. And he says, they will follow me all the days of my life not just a, they're not going to follow me like a college schedule monday, wednesdays and fridays from 2 to 4 they're going to he, he's going to be there consistently every minute of every day and he says and i will not perhaps maybe hopefully and all that i will dwell in the house of the lord not just temporarily not just for a long time not just for a stretch but i will live there forever in other words The confidence that just oozes out of this verse is amazing. Now, I'm sure that you've, you've heard it said that if you have a tombstone, um, and you have your dates, for example, I created my own tombstone. There it is. Steve McCoy, 1982, 2000. Now, you may say, yo, really, you were born in 82. No. That's when I was born again. That's when life really started. I'd like on my headstone two dates. When I was born physically, and when I was born spiritually. So I was born in 59. Now I just picked a random number of 2059. I thought, hey, I'm eating a lot of kale these days. So I'm probably going to go for a hundred. So I don't know. But, you know, truth be known, I'll probably be shopping at Whole Foods for kale, walk out and get hit by a car, you know, and I'll die. But so you've heard it said that on a headstone, when you see a date, you know what the most important part is, right? It's the dash. It's what happens between those. Now, from 1959 to 1982, I didn't want that to be part of my dash. So I, I, that's why I started with when Christ came into my life. And so when you look at this dash, that is the life that we live as sheep on this planet. Now, what we're reading here in this verse is that we're sandwiched. In other words, goodness and mercy are following right up behind me like my shadow and in front of me. I have the, the, the confidence of forever with God. So as I'm moving through life, I'm like one big Reuben sandwich with God on both sides of me. You get it? So if I, like, we could zoom in on the dash, it would look like this. If, if I'm the red dot, I'm followed behind and I'm forever. You see, this is the confidence that David has. He is not writing the 23rd Psalm and say, you know what? I'm confident that nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. I'm confident that my health is going to be perfect for the rest of my life. I'm confident that the world never experience an economic crash or that my finances. No, he's saying, I'm confident that I am sandwiched by God. Now, when you look at that, that verse, you think, golly, how is that possible? Well, In Isaiah 52, and verse 12, here's what we find. The Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. That means that He is close to us wherever we're going and wherever we came from. So on Sunday mornings, I start the day very early, and then, of course, we have two church services. So because it's such a long time, but... Between when I uh, eat my kale smoothie early in the morning, until by the time I get home, it's around one o'clock. I, I typically bring a little snack to eat between the two services, just for a, a little boost of energy. Sometimes it's uh, well, it doesn't matter. You you don't care what it is. But <laughs> uh, last week it was a banana, and I got to tell you, on Friday morning it was around four in the morning, and I was laying awake, and I just you know to kind of get my brain cells going together. And it's, it hit me like, you know what? I didn't eat that banana last Sunday. And I think it's still in my satchel, my leather satchel. And so I went in, the satchel is black. And by that time, you know, the, the banana is brown, dark brown. And so I, I'm looking for the banana. I'm like, there it is. And so I reach in my satchel and, you know, I peel it off, you know, the, the, the inside of the satchel and, for some reason, as guys, we we dig that. I don't know. You know my wife was like, "Ooh, ooh!" Just throw the satchel away. I'm like, "Cool, this is awesome." You know, a little stuff crawling in it. And I know it's gross. Were you eating? I'm sorry about that. But now, you know, here's the deal with my satchel. There's this odor that emanates from it. I brought it up. You want to smell it? No, I'm just kidding. You just get close and it emanates because you can't separate now the banana smell from the satchel. Are you thinking in your mind, does this story have any point to it at all? It does. Here's the point. God's nature cannot be separated out. So when we read that that goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our uh, our life... This is not just a character of God. It is God himself. Let me prove it. When God was about to to pass in front of Moses, he said, Let me download with you, Moses, about what's going to happen. And we're going to find that in Exodus chapter, um, uh, where are we here? Uh, 33. Exodus chapter 33, if you want to turn there. He says, Look, Uh, You can't withstand the full presence of who I am. But let me try to explain to you just a little of what's going. And then he begins to describe something. I want you to see the remarkable connection to Psalm 23. Watch this. And the Lord said to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. In other words, The goodness of God can't be extracted out of from who he is. He is goodness. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy. There it is. Goodness and mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. You see, when God says, look, surely goodness and mercy will follow you. That is the presence of the living God. They're not just characters of God. It's God saying, I am as close to you, look behind you, see my shadow? I am as close to you, right behind you, in my very, very presence. And in front of you, you'll live with me forever. Therefore, in Psalm 27, David says this, I am still, watch it, confident of this. You don't find any wavering whatsoever. I'm confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living now the confidence that we have is as we've seen from the back end to the front end now when you read hebrews chapter 11 in the new testament we call that the hall of faith in other words it's a lengthy list of those people like abraham and moses who have done great acts by faith they've they've been willing to live Risk. They've been willing to live out the adventure. But that chapter begins with these words. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There is a surety that David is trying to say here. And he says it comes through faith. Now, up to this point, my guess is that. All of us in the room are like, okay, I'm with you. This is great news. You're walking through life as a sheep in dangerous territory. And God is literally before you and following you. And he is sandwiching you for all the days of your life. Therefore, we can have confidence and sureness and all of those things. And Everybody's like, okay, that's fantastic. But here's the deal. Unless we engage the truth that we know in the Word of God, it only remains a precept on a page. Let me say that again. (laughs) Unless we know, like we say, okay, God's behind us and He's in front of us. We have to act as if that were true. So when we have faith, if we can bring up this picture, it takes faith. What is the faith then? Okay, the faith is in behind, that God is behind us following and that he's there forever. Now, this week, I heard one of my favorite preachers, Tony Evans, say, let me define faith for you in a very real and tangible way. And I love this. Here, here's the definition of faith. Let's bring it up. Faith is acting, living out like we believe God is telling the truth. In other words, am I going to live in a way that I'm willing to take some risks because God is behind me and he's in front of me? So let's take Peter. Peter, if you step out of the boat, you won't sink. Faith doesn't say, okay, I, believe, I agree with that precept. I believe that you are Christ. I believe that you're the Savior. I believe that you're able to do it. I believe that you're willing to do it. I believe all those things. Christ would say, you still don't have faith. But I believe those things. But no, faith is acting one step out of the boat like I believe you're telling the truth. You remember Elijah came across a widow. She was down to her last meal. She had a son. She goes, this is it. This is, our, this is the last supper for us. And once we eat this, we'll just starve to death and we'll die. Elijah said, here, I'm going to tell you what to do. I want you to make me that last meal and you give it up. And I'm going to promise you that the God of this universe is able to take care of you and will take care of you. She had a choice at that point, a choice of faith if she was going to take that risk and really act as if Elijah, speaking for God, that God was going, was telling the truth. She said, okay, I'm going to do it. She acted by faith. When you read Hebrews 11, all of the people that are listed in the hall of faith, they acted as if God were telling the truth. So with God behind us and God in front of us, it should modify what we do if. We really believe that God is telling the truth, so this morning, I went on Facebook, kind of catch up on the latest before I came to church, and I saw this picture. I'm like, oh, I got this picture is so perfect. Check this out. No dogs beyond this point. <laughs> and when I saw that, I thought, boy, isn't that the picture of So many of us at times, where the sign reads, You're divorced and you're not to go beyond this. You can't do much more in life. Okay, I'll sit here. Because what's following you is some identity. And God said, No, 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 no. That's your sign, that's man's sign. I expected you to move forward because the sign of divorce or financial failure or or past failures or whatnot, that's the sign that you or other people put that's keeping you right there. And God said, can I replace that sign with something else? Can I put on that sign goodness and mercy all the days of your life? So move. Don't sit there like An obedient, well, let's just be honest, bored dog. That is not a picture of the adventure for which we're created. I got to tell you, if you're like me, there are so many signs that other people have stuck in the ground. You sit here. And that's what I I come to that point, and I, and if someone said, "What's following you?" Well, the, my shadow are the things that people have said you can't do. Or maybe more common is the shadow of things that I myself have said I can't do it, and God has said, "You're right. That's why I've." made you a Reuben sandwich. That's why I've sandwiched you. I think about a guy like Jacob. You know the story of Jacob. Jacob had a twin brother. The very name Jacob in Hebrew means grabber, taker, swindler, thief. That's what followed Jacob because he ripped his brother off of what belonged to him, and it cost him to modify his future because that was the thing that was following him. So he said, uh, here, here's the deal. I, I, I ripped my brother off. I, I had this Ponzi scheme, and now I, it's all mine. Until his mother said, came to him and said, you know what, your brother, he's pretty ticked off at you. In fact, he's getting ready to kill you. And so now, mixed with my own junk, is fear. The sign is right behind me. And that fear is now causing, modifying the direction of my life, not the fact that God is behind me. So Jacob ran, and he went to a city, a place called Haran. In Hebrew, the word Haran means parched. Kind of like the picture of that dog. Parched for adventure. You know, it's as if that dog, if you just said, okay, forget the sign, just run beyond this point. It's like, yippee, it'd be running all over. As many Christians like, oh, let loose a little bit. Don't allow your fear to modify your future. And so Jacob ran. And I want to tell you this, for those that are running, even in Haran, even in the land of fear, even in the land of stupid, which I've visited many times, God is still right up behind you. He cannot let go. He cannot run away. In fact, the scripture says he cannot be unfaithful. That's not who he is. So, as you know, uh, some of you, if you know this story, in Genesis 28, if you want to turn there, Genesis 28, on his way out as a fugitive, God encounters Jacob, he shows up in a dream. This is the dream, the stairway to heaven dream. And he, and Jacob sees the stairway to heaven. And, um, and he, God begins to speak to him and take note of what God says while at the same time that Jacob is running, he says these words, I am with you. I am with you. Even when you're being fearful, even when you're running, I am sandwich. I'm with you, and I'm going to watch over you wherever you go. There will not be a place. That word, wherever you go, I'm with you. Have that confidence, Jacob, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you to accomplish in your life. Now, the question is never... Will God be with me? I got a prayer for you that, you know, some people say, God didn't answer my prayer. Here's a prayer that God will answer yes to every single time, 100% of the time. Here it is. God, will you be with me? God will say, yes, I will. I've just made a huge mistake. God, are you still with me? Yes, I am. God, I'm running from you like running out of a burning building. Will you be? Yes, I'll be with you because he cannot not be. God is with him. The question is, will we act like God is telling the truth? So Jacob wakes up from this dream in verse 16 of Genesis 28. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, same word as David. Surely, man, I'm feeling confident. God showed up. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid. He said, how awesome is this place? Bad news, Jacob. God's going to ask you to move out of this awesome place. And in just three verses, his surely turns into an awful, awful word. In verse 20, he starts by saying, Jacob begins to saying, now, if God will be with me. Wait a minute. What do you mean if God? God will be with you. The God of the universe just showed up to you with a rock band song called Stairway to Heaven. (laughs) Uh, He's looking right at you and said, I will be with you wherever you go. Sandwich you in. And then somewhere in three verses, he's changed his surely to F. Surely has left the building. And he says, if you will be with me. And will watch over me on this journey I'm taking. And will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. I mean, it's as if God were like, oh, I forgot the food thing. Oh, you're going to be naked and starving. Doggone it. I should have wrote a post-it note to myself. Really? I mean, the God who created galaxies can't provide polyester in a can of tuna? How we minimize... The reality that God is right behind us and right before us. So if God will do these things so that I might return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. There it is. God, when, if you set up my finances... And you get everything perfectly in order, then I'll start giving. You see, if God, you get rid of all this debt for me, then I'll start, I'll start moving. And God says, Oh, no, 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 no. That's no different than Peter saying, Hey, Jesus, if you reach down in the bottom of this bathtub called a sea and you pull the plug and then, you know, all the water drains out and I'm on, then I'll do it. God says, that's no faith. There's no risk. And when there's no risk, there's no dependence on God. There's no faith. And we missed the whole thing. No, Jacob, I want you to know that you can step out and act as if I'm telling the truth because I told you I'll be with you. So move. Get away from that sign that says don't go beyond this point. You see. So the first thing I think we learn here from this is this. Faith acts First, faith acts first because here's what happens when it does it. You see, Jacob was living in the if world. Well, if God works this out, not sure. You know what happened? Watch this 20 years. You see, the story could have gone any direction. Jacob could have said, you know what? I'm going to do the hard thing. I ripped my brother off. I'm going back home. And the reason I'm going back home is because I'm going to act like I believe God. Because he said he's going to be with me. So whatever happens, I'm going to go. Nope, didn't do it. Went the opposite direction 20 years before he would do the right thing. I mean, there are times where we miss out. You see, I'm learning to be a a better father. I'm learning to do the hard things with my boys. I'm learning to lead my family, my wife, as a, a man the way God designed me to be. Because I could spend years and years, and sometimes it's difficult. We talked about that as a men's group. That sometimes when you have to say hard things to in a, in a marriage, like many men shy away from it because like, oh, this could create an argument. And I love what, what John eldridge says. He's, he points out that we've taken out the claws of the line of Judah and domesticated and many Christian men, I believe, are domesticated and, 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 and we're not willing to do the hard things. And years and years and years and years go by. And God said, I'm waiting on you to fulfill the design for which I've made you. Many people miss out on relationships. I get it. Man, it's so comfortable here. Love this place. Now, would you be willing to step in a deeper level of community with 10 to 12 other people? We call them act groups. Many call them small groups. And I understand that it freaks people out. I get that. But if you look deep in your life and like like so many people in this world, and you say, gosh, I don't really have a best friend. When the bottom falls out, I really don't have anybody to talk to. And that can go year after year after year after year. And God say, I'm telling you, if you just would believe that I'm behind you and in front of you and you act like I'm telling the truth, you'll say, I'm going to go ahead and take that step because you're with me. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the hard thing. You know, I I don't know that uh, I'm not sure how I can figure all this out with the the tithing and 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 all that. But I'm not going to wait till everything is in order. I'm going to wait. I'm going to make faith act first because God said, "I will take care of you. I'll cover all of your needs that you'll ever have." So you step out, and I know that's a sensitive topic for a lot of Christians. But look. When it comes to these things, God's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity for faith. I'm giving you an opportunity to act like you really believe I'm telling the truth. Faith acts first. Now, you know, after 20 years, if I'm God, I've given up on Jacob. Like 20 years, a guy's not going to move off, not N- not not God. I don't care how long you've been away from God. He will continue to ring your doorbell till you take your last breath. And so here's Jacob. He didn't want to deal with Esau. He didn't want to go back and say, hey, dude, I'm I'm sorry. I ripped you off of everything, man. And, and, you, and I knew you were going to kill me. I don't want to go back. And so he would have just continued to stay until God showed up. Genesis chapter 31, just a few chapters. God shows up and he says, Jacob, I can't leave you in this position, this riskless, safe position, because you're not depending on me. It's safe here. You're miles away from conflict. Oh, if I, if I go back, oh, you, you felt it before. Oh, if I just do the, oh, if I say something about Christ at work, you know, what, uh, and God said, yeah, go, I'm with you. Fill the risk, fill me, fill my presence. You know, God said, uh, Christ said, go into all the world and lo, I am with you until the end. And sometimes we only experience God when we go, when we let faith act first. And so God shows up in Genesis 31. He says to Jacob, now go back to the land of your fathers and to the relatives. And there it is again. And I will be with you. Why does that show up every time? I'll tell you why. Because we need the confidence. Notice that he said, didn't say, hey, Jacob, go back to your relatives, the one you ripped off. And it's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out perfectly. He didn't know that, but he did say this. Here's one thing that's sure, I will be with you. So watch. Now, if you're Jacob, like, okay, God's saying the same thing twice here. And uh, so maybe I'll I'll believe him, but no, he doesn't. He says, okay, I'll go back, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to manipulate and, and I'm going to send some gifts ahead of time because maybe it's me. Maybe I can make it better. And God say, would you let me do my job? Would you? Le- Aren't there times in your life where God say, let me just do it, L- have faith that I am with you, but not Jacob. Here's what Jacob does. He says, look, in, in uh, Genesis 32, verse seven, in great fear and distress. See, he hadn't trusted him yet. Jacob divided his people who were with him into two big groups. And he said to them, Be sure you say to Esau when you see him, Hey, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. Yeah, that's what fraidy cats do, by the way. I'll send my sister out and do it. I'll let her take care of Esau. I mean, maybe maybe they invented the Gatling gun when I was gone. She'll take that bullet first, and I can run the other direction. For he thought, I will pacify With these gifts, I'm sending on ahead later when I see him, perhaps. You see, there's no sureness. Perhaps he will receive me. So watch this. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. You see, God's saying, man, I wanted you on the front line so that when you're walking there, you're thinking, wow, this this is intense. And because it's intense, God, I need you. And God's like, whoa, finally, now you're depending on me because you put yourself in a position of risk. Now, listen, the next point I think that that Jacob teaches is this fear uh, uh, faith, Trump's fear, faith, Trump's fear. Be careful in thinking that faith eliminates fear. It doesn't we're human beings my guess is that when peter was on that boat and it was rocking and there was lightning just dashing across the sky and he was getting ready to step out my guess is that his blood pressure was slightly elevated you see what happens i believe is that i'm like okay i'm going to have i'm going to have to have a tough Intersection with somebody. Let's say it's in your marriage. I gotta, I gotta talk to my wife about something. Or maybe the wife needs to talk to the husband about something. Whatever that may be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have this tough conversation. Oh, I feel a little afraid. I'll stay in the camp. Or I, I feel a little afraid. I feel like my heart rate is elevated. Therefore, I must not have faith. No God is saying, I understand you're a little freaked out. I understand Gideon, you only got 300 men against, you know, 300,000 men and you're sitting there holding torches and jars. I get that. You might be a little fear uh, fearful, but faith will trump the fear. Faith says, I'm going anyway. You see, courage is not the absence of fear. I guarantee you that any soldier in any country that picks up his weapon and starts charging ahead, I promise you that their heart rate is elevated unless they're some robocop. We're human. We have fear. But faith that God is before me allows me to say, I know I'm a little bit elevated in my heart rate, but God is with me and I'm going Anyway, Jacob, you should have been on the front line, dude, but you stayed in the camp. So God shows up and he wrestles with Jacob, as you know. At the end of that wrestling match, Jacob asks this question of God. Can you tell me your name? I feel I feel when I'm reading this, God, like this. I, I feel God. Now, this is just my personal read, but I feel God like this. Hey, God, can you tell me your name? <sighs> Why do you ask me? ask me that have I not proven to you that my name is faithful have I not proven to you that my name is warrior haven't I prove proven to you that my name is Abel are you asking me that? Because see, here's the deal. Here's the final thing I I think we learn from Jacob. Faith helps us to know a different side of God. I've shared with you, I struggled with giving and tithing and all that years ago, but for, for years I struggled with it. And it's so hard to explain to someone what happens when you step out believing that God is telling the truth and it 's like i 'm going to do this 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 feels like man i'm i 'm out there and then all of a sudden, like wow God he i, I, I can 't even put it into words there 's a new side of God that I just learned about because I was willing to put faith first and let faith Trump my fear and step out. And I'm like, wow, I just learned something about God. Whether it went great, perfect, not so great, I learned there's a sense of presence that all of a sudden God is there. This is the end desire of faith for us on God's part. I want you to be put yourself in enough risk so that you depend on me so that now you get to see a side of me that you haven't seen before. Moses said it very well. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses said to the Lord, Look, God, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, Moses, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. So God, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Really? After the the locusts and the the frogs and the miracles and the Passover and because this is post all the after all that, oh man, I I, oh you got to know me. And so he says, "Look, let me tell you who's going to go with you. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." Then Moses said, "Okay." If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up there. I'm like, I'm with you, man. If God's not with me, then then shut the whole thing down. Watch this. Don't miss it. Strongest verse of the whole morning. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? You see, watch. Let me tie it in when you're willing to put yourself in a point of risk. You're dependent on God at that moment and you see another side of God and people see God in you. You see, if you don't know that side of God, you can't show that side of God. You have, we have no right to say, oh, God is faithful if we haven't put ourselves in a position to know that he's faithful. Make sense? We have to be able to prove that. Now, my wife and I were talking as, as, as I close here. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like in people's lives? What does risk look like? Let me give you a few examples. But in giving examples... Here's where I rely on the Holy Spirit of God to work in so many different lives here this morning. Because, see, there's different camps. Every Each of us have our own camp of safety. Yours may be, as a man, you're not leading your family, and you've got to have some tough conversations. Some of you may say, you know what? I, I believe that God will take care of me, but I've held on to my stuff as if he wouldn't. Some of you may say, I have just wanted to share my faith with someone. But in the safety of my camp, I'm afraid of what people may say or think or do to me at work and all that. Some of you may just, God has been stirring to start something or to reduce something. God may say, I'm asking you not to step out of the boat, but to throw some things out of the boat. And I know that's going to take some courage for you to do. But when you do it. You will see a new side of me because now you're dependent on me and others will see it in you. You know that hall of faith that we're talking about in Hebrews 11? Watch this. Check it out. It's, it ends with this, these, this, these words. Hebrews 11, chapter 39. These people, all of them, were commended for their faith because they stepped out, yet none of them received faith what they had been promised. See, look, faith is not about getting what we want. If we have enough faith, oh, I get what I want. No, faith is depending on God, period. No matter how things turn out, no matter where things lie. I wonder this morning, what camp you have built in your life? I wonder that. Are you afraid to get into the next deeper level of community here within your church family and a small group? Are you in a small group and man, you're so freaked out by having coffee with someone one to one, like the whole small thing? Boy, it just, it's just too much. Are you holding on to your stuff like God's promises are worth nothing? Are there are there things that God is stirring you that He's ringing the doorbell of your camp saying? Oh, you're stuck in the awfulness of safety. Isn't that crazy? Isn't safety a great thing? Not to God. You're so super spiritually insured, you look like a bored dog on a beach. Have you convinced yourself that the only thing following you is your junk, your failures? Instead of the goodness and the mercy of God. See, I think everybody has a camp. The question is, will you act like God is telling the truth? Let's pray. Father, thank you. For reminding us today. That we are created, we are made for risk. That this life as a sheep has valleys and ravines, rushing water, wolves. Oh, God, this is not a boring story. It's so evident, God, from the men and women that you highlight in Scripture. The Davids against Goliath, the outnumbered. Gideons, the shaky Moseses, the Shadrachs, the Meshachs, the Abednegoes put into fire. That there's something in you, God, that desires for us to live on an edge of risk so that we put our faith in you, but not just by words, that we actually act as if. You're telling the truth, that we believe that you're telling the truth. Forgive us, Father, for our camps, for the safety of our boats. Forgive us for the years wasted, running the wrong way. Forgive us for believing our own voice and the, the voice of others who have put it, planted a sign right behind us, done. Don't go beyond this point. Oh God, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you do what I cannot. That in every individual literally sitting in this room that you'll shine light on the camps in which we feel so safe. And yet, God, we're not living out the design of how you've engineered us to live. With that in mind, Father, we're so thankful that you're behind us and that you're in front of us. And with that confidence, God, I pray for those in this room that would believe that to the fact that they act. Believe that to the level that they they do something and that they step out of their camps, of their boats, of their safety. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.